We have two scripture readings to share together this morning. The first one comes from Luke 1, 39 to 55. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried down to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises through her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And the second uh, reading we'll share today is in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, for that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Well, back in September, we had this idea that we shared with the church about uh, spending some time over the course of this year, the fall and, and into the next year, uh, looking at a book uh, by Kent Annan called Slow Kingdom Coming. And so a number of people, a few dozen people, have been reading this already. Some have been gathering on Monday nights and discussing it, and we'll be having new opportunities for that in the new year as well. Uh, but there's a tagline to this book that we decided that we would choose as our kind of theme during this season of Advent, uh, Practices for Doing Justice, Loving mercy and walking humbly in the world. Well, this verse comes from a part of the Old Testament where uh, we discover Micah, who found out of his people, this prophet, uh, they were confronted by God for their lack of faithfulness. And this Old Testament prophet pens a series of rhetorical questions in an imagined response to this unfaithfulness. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? But God never was after impressive offerings or self-denying acts of grandeur. And so the response comes, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so as we walk through the season of Advent, we're invited into a time of reflection on all that God has given and on what we have to give in response. 
Now, our first reading this morning is a familiar one. It picks up after a young Jewish girl named Mary has an otherworldly encounter in which she is told that she has found favor with God. And the result of this favor is that she will miraculously be with child and give birth to a son. In the words of Cousin Eddie, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year, right? You get it. For someone else now, of course, this would be a cause for celebration. And in this reading, we find that Mary went to spend some time with her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who was barren. Elizabeth, who was well along in years. Now, for her to find news that she was going to have a child, that was significant. That was, that was really good news. But for the unwed, teenaged Mary, this would have been scandalous. But somehow, Mary accepts the news and embraces her part in God's unfolding story. She sings this song. Mel didn't sing the song. I'm admittedly a little disappointed you didn't sing Mary's song this morning, but that's okay. We'll work on it for next Christmas. She sings this song, and part of it says, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Something in us knows that what we need just about as much as anything else is mercy. What we need is a break. What we need is some relief from whatever it is that's overwhelming us. This past week, I had a breakfast meeting with some colleagues, and, and we were sitting around, and we kind of got through everything we were planning on talking about. At the end, there was this question. It was like, okay, what is one word? And we were supposed to have thought about this before we came. What is one word that describes life for you right now? Like, at this moment, what's the one word? And so we kind of went around the table, and it was so depressing. Like, everyone's word was like this heavy, dark. Like, it was this, like, discouraged, distracted, heavy, busy. Like, it was all these words going around. The last person who went had a positive one, and I was like, really, you should have just kept that to yourself. But, but I was thinking about it, and I mean, this is supposed to be this time of the year where it's like we're, this anticipation's building up, and the joy, and all the rest of it, and yet all of the words kind of around the table uh, were words of heaviness. Now, that heaviness, that can come from all kinds of different directions, right? Sometimes it's because of mistakes we've made. Sometimes the thing that we're feeling is because of the mistakes we've made, whether we've acknowledged them or not. Now, sometimes that, that heaviness or that distraction or that discouragement or that darkness, whatever word we would choose, sometimes it comes from the mistakes that other people have made. Although when I wrote that down, I thought we don't often refer to them as mistakes, do we, right? When we do something that causes ourselves pain, it's a mistake. When someone else does something that causes it, it's like an offense or it's something more aggressive than that. So sometimes it's other people that cause it for us. And sometimes it's the apparent randomness of life. I think that's, I mean, in our house, we've got this cold that's been whipping around for a couple of weeks, and it just keeps knocking everyone down. I mean, that's not anything that I've done wrong, or no one else has done anything wrong. It's just life, and sometimes it makes life difficult. So whether we blame ourselves, or others, or no one, most of us have the sense that things could be better than they are, that they would be better if we could only catch a break. Now, in the short run, it's not that big of a deal. You can deal with heaviness or whatever that word is for you for a day or a few days. You can probably hang in there for a week or two or maybe even longer. But when weeks turn into months and it doesn't lift, when months turn into years and you don't feel like you've caught a break, that can be difficult. You can feel like, what is happening to my life? I read this passage in a book by Karl-Uwe Knausgaard. He writes, beginning to ask a question, how can a life be ruined? In relation to what, he asks. An imagined sequence of actions? An alternate fate? Nothing more. But all that is hypothetical. 
Those are fictions. If a person falls, he falls. She falls. And while it is possible to think that it could have happened differently, it cannot happen different. Only what happens, happens. Only the life that is lived, is lived. I don't think I have ever written anything more obvious, yet it is still difficult to grasp. So like it, it's possible for us to think like, that life is just not going to work out. It, if only the circumstances were different, but they're not, and they can't be different. Only the life that is lived is lived. It's difficult to grasp because we wish it wasn't true. I was thinking that this is what I tend to think anyways, and I'm sure at least a few of you agree. Um, I kind of wish that sometimes I had like a remote control for life where you could just occasionally hit a rewind button, you know? It happens sometimes when I say something to my wife that I shouldn't have, and I'm just like, if I could only rewind like 20 seconds, this night would be a lot better. Um, but I can't, and so it's not. Uh, so I wish I had a rewind button sometimes. You could just rewind and, and just fix what happened. And sometimes I wish I had a fast-forward button. When you've got something difficult you're going through, just say, I don't want to actually go through this. I don't actually want this, this tough experience. I would rather just fast-forward to the end and, and see what happens. Or maybe, uh, I've thought of this one a bunch, like a pause button. This is when life is going fast. It's really speeding up, and you just want to hit pause. And everything freezes, and you get to just like go spend like a day alone in the woods or something like that. Or, or maybe if you had like a, a PVR, you know how you, if you finish watching an episode, you get this little box shows up on your TV. It says, do you want to delete the episode, right? Sometimes I wish I had that button. Just delete episode. Like that never happened in my life. That was awesome. Just gone. It's away. Or maybe you just want to change channels entirely. I don't even want this anymore. There are all kinds of things that we just wish that we could change. We wish we could make different. But unfortunately, our remotes have one button on it, and it's play. It's all it is. Only the life that is lived is lived. We play. Life unfolds day by day, hour by hour. Now for Mary, the story of her people had been playing on for centuries. And I am sure that if anyone ever wanted to fast forward to the end of a story, it was the nation of Israel. Mary and her people had been waiting. And for centuries, after a long history of God speaking to his people and making promises through the prophets, now for centuries God had been quiet. And people were not hearing from God and, and prophets were not announcing good news to come. All they had were these centuries-old promises that one day a Messiah or a Savior would come. One day a king would come and liberate them. And for centuries they'd been waiting and they're all like, fast forward this episode. This is way too long to wait. Talk about a slow kingdom coming. If we read just a few verses earlier in Luke, uh, read about what the angel said to Mary when he appeared. These are the words that we find. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so this is the promise that was given. This is what they waited all this time for. And so Mary sings in response, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. So you've made a mess of things. Mercy. You've been hurt by someone. Mercy. Life seems to be unfair. Mercy. 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 
That's what the Song of Mary celebrates, that in the midst of whatever it is that we're trudging through in this life of ours, God remembers us and comes to us to help us. Peace on earth, the carol says, and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. So, we all want to receive mercy, but who actually loves mercy? That's a different question, right? Receiving mercy is just about the easiest thing in the world to do. You're in a tight spot, someone helps get you off the hook. As Justin Bieber once said, it's a no-brainer, right? It's obvious. If someone's going to offer to get you off the hook, you just take it. Paul wrote a letter uh, in the New Testament of our Bibles, Titus chapter 3. I just want to read a couple of verses here. At one time, he says, We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Honestly, though, Receiving mercy isn't always that easy, even if we want it. Sometimes accepting help can be difficult. Sometimes we'd prefer to struggle on than admit that we need a hand. This happened to me just a, a week ago. Um, for a couple of months now, we've been having this uh, notice that's been popping up on our TV saying that, um, well, the short of it is that our Blu-ray player, which is a smart player, is not smart enough to keep up with the updates that are required. Uh, so we keep getting this notification saying, as of December 1st, you can no longer watch Netflix. And you can just imagine what this is doing to my family, right? Like, it's like, Dad, you've got to solve this problem. We can't not watch this. Like, so the, the weeks and the months are counting down. And finally, December is here, and, and I haven't solved this problem. So I went out, and, and I got a, a streaming device, and I, and I hooked it up, and, which was a pain because when I installed our TV when we bought it years ago, I had all the wires going like down through the wall so it looks nice and clean. Well, it's a lot easier to put wires through a wall when there's not a TV in front of the hole. So now I had to like jimmy the cords down, and I got it all hooked up, and I turned it on, and I was like, yes, it works. And I turned the volume up and there was no sound. And what I discovered was that apparently when I hooked up all of these devices to our um, amplifier and all the rest of it, apparently uh, I didn't hook the sound up from the TV to the amplifier, so um, I had to figure that out. And I'm kind of clueless when it comes to technology. I took a picture of the back of our machine here, and I was like, what the heck am I going to do with this? And I struggled for a while, and I finally gave in. I finally gave in. I messaged my brother-in-law, and I'm like, you know way more about this than me. And he helped me out. And this was actually on the, the snowstorm two weeks ago, that crazy snowstorm. He actually drove out, bought the cable I needed, and delivered it to my house on that crazy ice storm, a storm Sunday. So it's like a little humiliating to be able to say I need help, like getting sound on my television. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, good. Now I have sound. Now it works. So the first part of loving mercy involves accepting it with open arms because it can actually be tricky for us to do that sometimes. Well, here's what Paul writes in the letter to 1 Timothy, in his first letter to Timothy that Mel read for us earlier. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, talk about admitting your need from help. Like, Paul just admits, like, I'm the worst that there is. And you hear that and you think, was he just exaggerating for effect? 
Now, of course, there's no real way to know who is the worst sinner. Um, I don't think any of us would want to play that game willingly. Um, Paul might have actually had a case for it. Prior to him writing half the New Testament, he was actually a, a Jewish leader who was going around persecuting Christians. There's a story in the book of Acts where he is standing there as an early Christian leader named Stephen was being stoned to death in front of him. So he was like kind of overseeing this stuff. So he's got a case for being a, a, one of the worst sinners. But I think it actually comes from his doing the, the hard work of, of looking inside and understanding his need for mercy. Jean Banier puts it this way, that maturity is precisely the acceptance of yourself with your own flaws. So being aware of just how broken you actually are, as well as others with their flaws. Now, this is where things get a little testy, right? So if we're talking about we need to love mercy, if the first thing that we need to love is the ability to kind of open our arms and accept mercy when we need it and how that can be challenging, well, now we're supposed to extend this mercy to other people. You see, if we love mercy at all, that we're going to love it for ourselves, but not so much for others. And that's a clue that we might not quite be loving mercy yet. What Paul says next reminds us uh, that anything we've received should be proof enough that others are included as well. I was shown mercy, he goes on, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Here we have yet another echo of the slow kingdom coming, God's immense patience for us. I, I don't think many of us are really good at this. I know I'm not. I was literally writing this sermon. I'm sitting at my desk, and we have a, a nursery school that meets above us, and there was a little child at the end of the hall just crying incessantly, just crying and crying and crying, and I'm just like, would you stop already? And then I like look down. I'm like, love, mercy. I'm, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, like I can't be patient enough with a child who's missing their mom or dad. Like it's just ridiculous. So patience is something that God shows for us and not only for us, but for others as well. Now this is interesting. I don't know if any of you picked this up, uh, but I noticed when the scripture was read last week when Irv was preaching, uh, it was a different version than the one that I had already started writing my sermon on. And it used a different word than I used in the title. See, I said, like, loving mercy, you need to love mercy. But the version last week said loving kindness. And I was like, oh, this is kind of messing things up. Like, everyone's going to be confused. So I was kind of looking at this word, though, because this word that is translated in one version, kindness, and in another, mercy, is actually a tricky one. It's a Hebrew word, chesed, which is a, a really actually powerful word, which is not really, it doesn't translate well into English. There are a lot of different ways that we can translate it, but one of the key things about this word is that it actually describes a mutual responsibility and the deep bonds that 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 has. And you say, okay, well, what does this have to do with God's expressing mercy to us? When you think about kind of Mary's song and her response, there was this kind of, there's this idea that like, God, you've come through for us. Because through all the generations, God had this covenant with his people. And it was like, okay, you've got to honor me with your lives, and I'm going to honor you with my presence and blessing. And there's this kind of back and forth reciprocal relationship. And so when we talk about loving mercy, it's understanding that we are actually in reciprocal relationships with God as we receive and mercy, but also with others as we give that mercy out. So as one commentator I read this week said, to love kindness, or we could say to love mercy, to love chesed, is to act generously, applying one's own wealth, learning, insights, skills, and good fortune for the benefit of others. So if you want an idea of what it means to love mercy, 
I think that's about as good of a definition as we're going to get. And as we sit around tables in a little while, we'll talk about what this looks like. What would that look like for you to apply your own wealth, learning, insight, skills, good fortune, add whatever you want to that list for the benefit of others? That's what it means to love mercy. How can we learn to extend it to others? It doesn't take a lot, at least to get starting. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Zares getting groceries, and I was walking by, and there was a man who was driving one of those kind of uh, motorized carts, like a, like a, kind of like a wheelchair, but a motorized cart to get around town, and, and he was driving it through the store. And he was coming up the aisle as me, and I looked at him, and I kind of made eye contact, and I, I just smiled, like just trying to be nice. And he kind of looked at me and didn't respond. And then as I'm walking by, um, I hear him mutter under his voice, hmm. Thanks for the smile. And at first I thought he was being sarcastic. And I was like, is he like, making fun of me? Did I do something wrong? And then I thought, no, actually, probably people just don't acknowledge him. And he just said, someone actually saw me. And someone actually smiled. And I was like, that was like, so easy. That was like the, the simplest thing to do. Now, in case you think I'm patting myself on the back, come back next Sunday because I'm going to tell another story that doesn't look, make me look so well. Um, but I was just uh, thinking about this story and how simple it is actually to, to just extend a little bit of kindness, a little bit of mercy to someone. And here's the thing that happens when we do that. Um, we're going to be pushed to go further. Now, sometimes we're going to be pushed to the point of breaking. Sometimes we're going to be pushed even further beyond that to extend mercy to the people around us. Sometimes we're going to need to go places that we don't want to go in order to extend mercy. Sometimes we're going to need to do things that we don't want to do to extend mercy. Sometimes we're going to need to say things that we don't want to say in order to extend mercy to others. But if we can keep this picture of, of God's goodness and his gifts flowing to us, uh, reminding that we love because he first loved us, then maybe we'll be able to make that, that small effort initially that can grow and become more significant efforts of extending mercy down the road. Candan and the author of this book, Slow Kingdom Coming, says that love requires practice. And practicing will shape the world in and around you as you do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly in the world. And so rather than start with some dramatic gesture that will change the world, it's probably a good idea to smile at someone and go from there. Echoing the same thought, Frederick Buechner says, maybe what is good about religion is playing that the kingdom will come. Until, in the joy of your playing, the hope and rhythm and comradeship and poignance and mystery of it, you start to see that the playing is itself the first fruits of the kingdom's coming and of God's presence within us and among us. It's our practicing mercy. It's our practicing kindness. It's our practicing justice that gets the ball rolling. And we realize, okay, I get it. That slow kingdom is, in fact, coming. Mary recognized God's mercy in the announcement that she would give birth to a son, and she was willing to be a vessel of that mercy for the sake of others. And those others include you and I. So may we, too, recognize God's mercy in our lives, that he remembers us, and comes to us, as he did to Mary and her people. And may we express our gratitude by spilling out this same mercy, this same kindness, this same love on the people around us. I'd invite you to stand. Lord, with thanks for your good gifts, 
we want to make ourselves available to share those good gifts with the people around us. To say yes. Um, when life requires us to say yes. To say no when life requires us to say no. To give something small and trust that it will grow into opportunities to give something more. God, I pray that we would be able to love mercy in the ways that we've talked about this morning, that we would love mercy that you offered us, that we would accept it and receive it, that we wouldn't believe lies that we're not deserving, because it's not about deserving, it's just about receiving your love. And that we would also learn to love mercy as we extend it to others, that we wouldn't hold on tightly to what we have, but that we would extend it to others freely. I pray that you would help us to pay attention to the people around us in our homes, our classes, our workplaces, our schools this week. Help us to find opportunities to extend your kind of love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.